Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, a place where everyone minds their own business and doesn't sell salacious stories to the newspapers. This morning, the Camberwell commies are in fine form. They're parading up and down their street, moaning they don't like having Boris Johnson as a neighbour. And Class War are assuring everyone that the commies in number 42B expect not to have to meet any Tories as they sashay around their £720,000 flat, uh, drinking cappuccinos and having avocado on toast. Isn't it nice? Tom Penn and Eve Lee are two great examples of the type of nasty champagne socialists who spend their days and nights virtue signalling about how they love the poor and hate the Tories. Guardian Easters of the worst kind. Eve Lee apparently writes plays which aren't very good but they get subsidised by the European Union uh, and she gets to write things that are anti-Brexit. How terribly exciting. Can you imagine actually being these people and actually having to live your life this miserably? What an absolute waste of time. Uh, the fast of the Thursday night round has now reached epic proportions, of course. Boris's enemies are painting him as some kind of wife-beater. The offended lefties are in no doubt that he was the protagonist, despite the claims that the only voice that you could actually hear screaming was Carrie Simmons, who seems to be terribly worked up for one reason or another, that Boris wasn't doing what she wanted. Well, guess what? He's a guy that's been married loads of times. He's had loads of girlfriends. He's got loads of children. Uh, he's not very good at being a husband, I think you'll find. Jeremy Hunt, of course, is already cashing in by making out that Johnson is a coward for not answering questions about his private life. That is a Pandora's box that he does not want to open because if once you answer one question about your private life, you get asked another. And there's loads and loads of questions that loads and loads of people want to ask him. It is a complete and utter mess, but it is also a mess of Boris's making. The Sunday Times yesterday said that he was a security risk. It's not so much that he's a security risk, it's that he is more than likely uh, to top-end himself and get himself into more trouble than anybody else can actually get him into. The big question is, does it actually matter? I don't think it does. 0344 499 1000. Does it stop him becoming Prime Minister? No. Does it stop him uh, allowing us to leave the European Union? No. Does it stop him marrying Carrie? Uh, very possibly yes, because I'm going to have a piece of advice for Boris coming up very shortly, and he won't want to miss it. Meanwhile, back in the real world, of course, the hustings continue. There's a load of, load of debates coming up, including one uh, which is going to be hosted by The Sun and Talk Radio, and which will be broadcast live right here on Talk Radio between Boris and Jeremy. That comes up next month. Also coming up, I'll be telling Jihadi Jack why we don't want him back in the UK, and I'll be finding out why men are no longer required as we apparently colonise space with women-only missions. Good luck with that. 0344 You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, um, I do a little podcast outside of the podcast that we do here at Talk Radio, and last week I said... It's a very bad idea indeed for Boris Johnson to move into the uh, uh, the premier address in this country, which is number 10 Downing Street, to become Prime Minister 
with his girlfriend. People were absolutely aghast when I said it because they thought, what are you, some kind of member of the moral majority? And I said, no, it's not that. But you cannot be the Prime Minister of this country. And the last person who was in Downing Street, who actually got married while they were in Downing Street, uh, was Lord somebody or other in 1988. Sorry, 1888, I should say. And he decided it was a good idea to get married while he was actually in office. Now, the last time we had somebody who was not married in Downing Street was Ted Heath back in the 1970s, who conversely, and rather bizarrely, was the one that got us into the European Union in the first place. He was known uh, as a bachelor, and as a result of that, he was given all sorts of um, nicknames. There were all sorts of rumours about his private life and about his sex life and all of that. Boris Johnson is a heterosexual man who rather likes uh, going out with lots and lots of women, shall we say. I don't think it's a good idea for him to have Carrie Simmons in Downing Street until he marries her. And I'm not sure after what happened last week that they are going to get married. So here's my suggestion to Boris Johnson. Get rid of Carrie for a while. Take it easy. While you're doing the hustings, before you become Prime Minister, just play it safe. Lie low. Do not get yourself into any rows. Do not turn up late at your girlfriend's flat. And by the way, why on earth did he think it was a great idea to move into a flat in Camberwell where she was living opposite a pair of, you know, what you can only describe as recalcitrant communists? It's not great, is it? They were putting posters up saying, F Boris. They were putting posters up saying, we'd rather have him as a neighbour than a prime minister. I don't think he should have really been living under those circumstances, do you? And what about security prospects as well? 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Neil Wallace, uh, former Fleet Street editor, a man who knows a thing or two uh, about listening devices and possibly hearing what people have said that they didn't think was being recorded. Neil, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, young man. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, um, this is the kind of story that makes my blood boil, I'm afraid, Neil, because the idea that these people even exist in Camberwell is enough to turn my stomach. You know, Mr and Mrs Guardian Easter, Tom Penn and Eve Lee, you know, an American citizen is she, uh, who likes to write plays uh, in favour of the European Union while getting grants from them to do so. Did you see the photograph of her in the Daily Mail this morning? I did. Coming down her street, looking ex static at the attention of she course. has drawn to herself. Yes. She's she, got a grin on her face a mile wide. Look and, how clever I am. Yeah, and she loves the poor so much that she buys a, an apartment for 720,000 quid. My understanding is that he runs the local pub, uh, which is, of course, a, uh, uh, um, what do you might call a gourmet, a gourmet pub, you know, gastro pub. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, I'm afraid that this is what this country has become. Well, there is a breed of people like this, I think, did you use a word earlier, or was I just thinking it, that these are classic uh, champagne socialist yes. virtue uh, signalers who go around the world um, patronising real people and telling other people how to live, and frankly, they think they're better than the rest of us. I mean, you know, the, the pleasure they're getting out of this and the way they... Because you should remember, of course, Mike, as I'm sure you do, that... This tape recording, they never offered it to the police. They, they never said, well, we've got some evidence. Would you like to listen to yes. it? Yes. They, they made the recording knowing they wanted to use it. And I, I absolutely wonder whether or not what they were waiting for was Boris and Carrie to make the mistake that, unfortunately, they inevitably did, which was to do something amiss, 
so that they could immediately cash in and find a way to try to damage Boris. Yeah, exactly right. And it wouldn't come as any great surprise to either of us, Neil, if it turned out that the first phone call to The Guardian was not that night, but the first phone call to The Guardian was some weeks prior to that night, in which they said, oh, by the way, guess who's our next-door neighbour? Absolutely. And maybe, Absolutely maybe right. The Guardian said to them, well, keep your eyes and your ears peeled uh, and let's see what happens. Yeah, and make sure you record yeah. anything that happens. Uh, because I don't... You know, first things first, Mike, I absolutely think if you hear or suspect domestic abuse of any kind, then yes, you should report it. And yes, I, I don't think there can be any criticism of them for uh, reporting suspected uh, domestic abuse, because we must assume or we must accept that that was the motive. Yes. I think it's doubtful whether it's the sole motive. But anyway... Um, well, the other motive to call the, the other the other motive to call the police, of course, and as I say, we've only got these people's word for what happened. We have not heard the tape. I suspect we may never hear the tape. They called the police. That might have been all part of the plan. You know, call the police. That makes it a better story. It may well have done, but I still think if there was shouting and screaming, and the Guardian have heard the tape, and you and I both know we might hate the politics of the Guardian and an awful lot of what it does, but it's stuffed with some terrific journalists. And they will, have, they will have heard this tape and have satisfied themselves that there is something uh, there. And I suppose the next thing I'd go on to say, Mike, is frankly, I think this, this story, having got out there, is now a legitimate subject for debate because I do believe that every, anything about our politicians, but in particular our future prime minister, um, is... is uh, reasonable, open to scrutiny. Yes, no, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I don't, dis I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that. With the Guardian, I don't argue at all with The Guardian publishing this. Uh, if, if I got it when I was editor of a tabloid newspaper, or if you got it when you were working for tabloid newspapers or any newspaper, worth their salt, this is a legitimate story. Oh, no question. Absolutely no question. And I do not question the motives of The Guardian. However, I do have in the back of my mind a nagging doubt that it was all a bit of a setup. But what I also would say, in the same way that I criticised the security uh, at the event in Mansion House last week when Mark Field found himself uh, getting a protester up against a pillar by the neck, you know, his fault was not doing that. The fault lay with the security people not doing anything. Similarly, I can't, I can't understand why Boris Johnson, the soon-to-be Prime Minister of this country, very probably, uh, barring this thing, you know, ratcheting out of control, would allow himself to live in what is a very easily accessible and kind of, uh, you know, rather terrorist-friendly building in the middle of a street in Camberwell when he should have really put Carrie Simmons out of harm's way and put her into some kind of you know, rather large and probably concierge building where there wasn't very many people able to access it. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, th is, there aren't that many people in that area of Camberwell who do not work in PR, advertising, media, that it's it is lovey land, isn't right. it? He it is. He's asking for trouble. Yeah. He was, but but that is Boris, isn't it? You know, I mean, I've I've covered so many stories about his private life, and you know, he is a car crash in terms of his private life. Yeah. That's what he does. He doesn't think of consequences. He only follows his own nose. But you know what? Is that going to stop him getting elected prime? Uh, elected as leader of the Tory party and therefore our next prime minister. I don't think it will. I think he will still get the job.
Yes, I think that's probably true. However, we've got another three weeks of this to go and whether or not he can actually remain calm and remain out of the limelight and remain almost hidden away practically outside of the hustings is another matter because it's all very well to say this is what Boris is like. He's going to have to change, isn't he? And he should really ditch Carrie right now, I would say, uh, and and not in a necessarily a, a nasty and ugly way, but just, you know, you know, just lay off it for a while, Boris. Be a single man, which is what you are. We're reading all the time that he's upset with his divorce. He doesn't really want to leave his wife, but she kicked him out finally, having had enough. You know, what we don't want is a guy who's in a volatile relationship with a woman who may or may not be volatile, I don't know, um, you know, causing problems. Well, I think that sound advice to him, I don't think for a second he'll take it. If you read, there was a very interesting interview with a former boyfriend of Carrie's yes. in the mail on Sunday, I think it was yesterday. And this is a very, very volatile woman. Boris has always had a bit of a penchant for uh, sort of extra large women, as it were, um, with, with very big personalities. Yeah. Uh, but it goes with the territory, I'm afraid. But do I think he's going to uh, buckle down like that? No, I don't. I think he'll just uh, follow the course he always follows. Well, that's true. But imagine this was happening inside Downing Street, you know, because Downing Street leaks like a sieve, like we all know it does. I said yeah. this last week, you know, I don't think it's a great idea for Boris to live inside Downing Street with his girlfriend. Because whichever way you look at it and whichever old-fashioned name you want to call me, if he's not got a wife and he's got a girlfriend, you know, it's always going to be the case that people will say, oh, well, is that your girlfriend this week? You know, who's your girlfriend going to be next week? You know what I mean? Yes, I think I think there's uh, an obvious issue, isn't there? That I mean, they've been together for what six, nine months, something like that. Yeah. A, a year. The honeymoon top, period is, is clearly over. <laughs> yes, but have you seen uh, already today? The Boris's PR team are, are subtly moving in. There are sudden photographs appearing of Boris and Carrie sitting tenderly yes. in a in a garden. Um, have appeared over this weekend, you know, loving and laughing together and everything's fine. Mm. Uh, so the subtle messages are coming coming out there. I don't think, incidentally, that Boris will talk about this. No, I don't uh, think he will. And, I, and the reason I being, I think, do. I think he should as well. You're absolutely right. If you were advising where I was, you would say, look, here's how you do it and here's how you close off any other questions about your private life. But I think he's terrified of opening up that Pandora's box and then being asked almost anything. Well, th that's the point. I think that's absolutely the point of what the, um, uh, his people are saying to him. And he knows. I mean, don't forget, we don't know everything about him, <laughs> which is a question that um, I, th I think people may be asking. What else don't we know? Yes. But he does know. And so the answer is, of course, uh, is Boris won't do that. However, there is an opportunity for Carrie to do it. Carrie could do this. She could, she could talk because she's got nothing else to... Uh, she's not a hostage to fortune. That's true. Uh, and, but let's, and, but let's and, not be unkind... Uh, with, without being unkind to her, um, you know, she's not going to be the last woman who thought that she's tamed, you know, the famous philanderer of all time, you know, that she is going to be the woman that he stays with. <laughs> we all know that's rubbish, right? That's not going to happen. Yeah, he takes the James Goldsmith line. Do you remember the... Uh, yes, I do, but, but do repeat it. If, if you if you marry your mistress, you create a vacancy. Quite. I'm afraid that's been the pattern of Boris's life uh, throughout. Yeah.
Well, it has. And, I mean, that is where it's all going to go. So the problem for Boris is not so much what do we not know about what he's done, it's what he doesn't know about what he's about to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because yes, even, even as we speak, he could be getting up to no good. Yeah. But the... I, th I think... So I think that uh, he will be consistently having... Uh, being beaten over the next few weeks about not coming clean about this. I think if people will eventually get bored in the sense of constantly asking questions about this that she's not going to answer. And so maybe they need to start pinning him down on policy because actually policy is the stuff that really matters in all this. Yes, well, it certainly uh, does. And, and we were being told, I think, on Saturday by Ross Campbell, our political editor, that at the hustings uh, at which he was appearing, there was a great deal of warmth for Boris in the room. Uh, and, in fact, Ross described it as something he'd never seen before. And they didn't care so much so they were actually booing Ian Dale uh, for asking questions about his private life. So it's pretty clear that the Tories who are voting in his, uh, in his particular election, his coronation, don't uh, give a stuff. Well, I think that's true. I, I mean, I, I read a terrible piece uh, yesterday from someone who was trying to downplay all that. I listened to all of that. I watched that. And he was... Uh, Boris got immense support there. He got immense support. And, and it would be stupid and disingenuous um, to try to pretend otherwise. I, I, I don't... It doesn't make sense to me the way that people try to sort of... Uh, deny the truth about he has got that support. Mm. And what what is also true, is, and, and I'm not a Boris fan, incidentally, I, I would have much uh, prepared Michael, preferred Michael. Really? Gold, I think he would, yes, I did. Um, surely you can't have Sarah Vine strutting around inside Downing Street, for heaven's <laughs> sake. That would be fate worse than death for all of us. <laughs> but, but um, you know, Hunt, really? Uh, you know, Mrs May in trousers? Um, I mean, he he he's turned being dull into a sort of class act, hasn't he? <laughs> he really has, yeah. I mean, it was exciting enough yesterday when he donned a kind of rain jacket because it was the first time you'd seen him wearing anything other than a suit. You know, that's the level of kind of interest in him. But let me ask you one final question, Neil. Were you not as surprised as I was by the kind of, again, polarisation of thought and of kind of uh, incantation by various people? You know, if you're a Boris fan... Nobody cares, it's not important. Uh, whether he beats her up or doesn't beat her up, it's rubbish, it's none of our business. Um, you know, whereas if you're an, an anti-Boris person, he's a, you know, a participant in domestic violence, he needs to be outed, he needs to be locked up, he needs to be kept away from all women. The world has become very weird. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And everything is ultra black and white. Yeah. That dreadful word, everything is binary. You're either Satan or, or a saint. Yeah. And... Um, and none of us are like that. And I, I don't think Boris is either, to be honest. I think, you know, I remember him as, in the main, a good mayor of London. Yes. Uh, as I say, I'm, I'm no great fan at all. But uh, the demonisation of him, and particularly the way the left have leapt on this, uh, somebody I knew who instantly said, uh, oh, he's a wife beater, is he? Yeah. Well, you know, that kind of reaction doesn't help. And I think that... Um, if you actually look at Boris's track record, Boris, Boris treats them in a most cavalier way, but the idea that he's violent or anything like that, I think, is nonsensical. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it is very sad. It's, maybe it's a product of the whole Brexit divide, you know, that, that 
we seem to think these days that everything has to be to mm. an extreme. Yeah, I know. All reason has uh, has been sort of taken out of the argument, it would seem. But, Neil, thank you very much indeed. Neil Wallace, media consultant, former newspaper editor, of course, as well. A man that knows plenty about newspaper stories like this. And he's quite right to say that any newspaper editor worth his salt would have jumped at the chance of publishing it. I don't criticise The Guardian for that. However, I would like to know whether or not there was any conversation between The Guardian uh, and these bozos who are uh, Boris Johnson's neighbours, you know, the so-called Tom Penn and Eve Lee Brigade, whether they actually had a conversation with The Guardian before any of this happened. I'd be amazed if they didn't. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Dirty tricks... We'll be talking about all of that, plus Jihadi Jack coming up later on as well. He can get stuff too. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I think Carrie's made him a playlist on Spotify. What's that, dear? What? Spotify, yes. What? Yeah, make him a playlist. Just put a load of songs on it about getting rid of uh, your partner and see how it all goes. I think you should get rid of her. I think that's the way I would go at this point. He needs to be on his own. He needs to concentrate on his campaign. And he needs to wait until he gets elected. And then, once he gets divorced from the ex-Mrs. Johnson, he needs to marry her and then move her into Downing Street. It's as simple as that. Very straightforward. 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Janice, who's in Faversham. Hello, Janice. Good morning, Mike. Morning. How are you doing? Um, a bit nervous being first time Listen, on the Listen, very, here. very welcome and don't be nervous. I shall be very kind to you. That's very good of you. Thank you. Um, something I, I've been thinking about and doesn't seem to have been addressed is um, those houses with the flats in, they're Victorian, aren't yes, they? Yes, they are. Now, Victorian houses have thick walls. They do. So how come the chap could... What he said was he went into his flat, closed the door, turned the app on that records on yes. his phone. And they're supposed to be across a landing from one another, and I know those kind of houses, and those landings are very wide, aren't they? They are, yes. Um, So, to me, this is some sort of setup. I think you're absolutely right. I cannot believe that the first conversation that took place between these bozos and The Guardian was that night. No, I agree with you. This is the reason I rang when you you were speaking, when you were saying that. This is the reason I rang. I I thought, well, yes, you're right. Um, Now, Boris Johnson, I mean, I don't particularly... Um, I'm not a supporter of Boris Johnson. Um, I, I'm not too keen on either of them for the. No, me um, neither, actually. But listening to Jeremy Hunt this morning on. Uh, was it on, on LBC? Yes. Oh, for God's um, sake. I, I was, no, you were doing so no, well until on. you mentioned them. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I turn over to you every morning. Thank God. Now, I have to at 10 o'clock, and you know who comes on at 10 yes, o'clock. Yes, don't mention his name, whatever you do. I will not mention any names, no. But um, listening to him this morning, I was leaning towards him, to Jerry Hunt, and then he was on about the elderly in the country and the National Health Service um, that's causing more problems. Yeah. Right, now, I, I don't know how old you are, Mike. Um, you sound in your 40s. But I'll, 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 I'll take that all day. All right, OK. But it, it couldn't be so many years before um, yourself um, is one of the elderly in the country. I know. Well, it's sooner than you think, to be honest. But, I mean, oh, you're right. absolutely right. No, I'm, I would hate Jeremy Hunt to become the next Prime Minister. The reason I would like to see Boris getting it is at least it would be interesting. And I say that as a journalist rather than as a human being. Right, with Boris Johnson, it takes a clever man to play the fool. 
It does. You're absolutely right. Listen, Janet, it's a great call. Thank you very much. And well done for making the call first time uh, to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're, we're very friendly. We won't sell your story to the newspapers. We will not listen in on something you didn't say uh, while you were on the phone to us. Let's talk to Mark, who's in Purley. Hello, Mark. How you doing, Mike? How you doing, sir? Good speech, mate. Yeah, very well, thanks. Mate. Yeah, what do you want to say, man? Yeah, well, I'm not the most articulate person in the world. Don't worry. I've, I've, got my, I've got my ear to the ground. That's, that's all I can say, right? Now, listen, Robert Kahn and Vint Kess, they, they invented the most beautiful thing we've got, right? But it, it, it's caused murders, yeah? Yeah. It's called, and that's the internet, right? The media are the new church, but not so many nonces, right? It's as simple as that, right? right? And, and the thing is, yeah, that... Let's put boys in power. Why not? Because I'll tell you why. Well, I think he's going to get it anyway. Yeah, he is, sir. But he ain't going to do a referendum. Don't underestimate him, right? I don't, I don't like any of them. I don't like none of them. But that's what they do for a living. They lie, right? It's how they are. They're not. They're just bad car salesmen. Well, I mean, they, they use every trick in the book, Mark. Listen, thanks for your call. That's what they do. They use every trick in the book. They use their their, their guile. They use uh, the concealment, perhaps, of the truth. I wouldn't tell, tell, uh, tell anyone that they tell lies, but they conceal the truth. They reveal bits of the story, and they don't reveal other bits of the story. That's how it works. That's how politics works. And that's, as you see now... The people who re who kind of refer to the polit political situation in this country, the people who say that only certain parts of the truth are revealed and certain other parts of the truth are kept quiet, and that's how it all works. The people who want to leave the European Union tell certain stories. The people who want to remain in it tell certain other stories. That seems to be the way we have become polarised. But in order to become polarised over Boris Johnson, it's a nonsense. Because, one, we don't know what went on. Two, we haven't heard the tape. Three, we probably never will. But everybody's certain about what should happen and what did happen. I'm not certain. All I can say is this. Whatever did happen, it doesn't sound serious enough to me to stop him from becoming Prime Minister. And if you have a different view, by all means, let us know. 0344-499-1000. Let's talk now, though, about the woman who is still currently the Prime Minister, even though she's not really, but she's still sitting in Downing Street, Theresa May. She wants to bring in 12 weeks paid paternity leave, which sounds like a recipe for disaster to me. Let's talk to John Adams, who's a parenting blogger at dadblog.uk.com, I should say. Uh, John, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Uh, good morning. Good Can morning. you imagine getting 12 weeks paid maternity leave? Um, well, I can. Um, I mean, I actually uh, sort of eventually left the workforce to, to, to be the main carer. Did of you? Kids. So okay. um, I, I can imagine it. Um, I think the, the, the benefit of it is you'll get men involved with their kids from a much earlier age, which has all sorts of benefits for the kids and for the family. And then it also gives families more choice so that, you know, mum can decide to go back to work and leave dad at home with the kids uh, if that's what she wants. Well, if we can afford it, it's all very well, but can we afford it? That would be my question. Well, I think, yeah, I, I think the way this is being presented, uh, my, my understanding is that the money will either go to the mum or the dad. So you, you're talking about basically taking money that at the moment is presently paid to the mum, and I think that would go to the dad for a period. I mean, I, I haven't... Actually, I don't think anybody has seen the, the, the policy in, in, its, in its fine, fine detail. But well, like including Theresa May, presumably, because it's her idea. Uh, well, it's an idea that's been knocking about for some time. I mean, this isn't... So she, she can't really claim that she's just come up with this. I mean, it's, it's, some Scandinavian <laughs> countries have been... Well, that's true. But no, but my main concern about it, right, is that 12 weeks leave is quite a long time to be out of work in, in a, an office situation. It may be that there are certain jobs where it doesn't matter how long you take off to, to, to spend time with your child. 
But, you know, my concern is for who is who pays for that because, as you well know, if you take somebody out of a work situation, you need to fill that, that position. And so the, the company presumably will have to bear a fair amount of this. Well, uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, there is, there is going to be a cost. There's no point um, dodging that. There, there will be cost. I don't think the cost is going to be quite as big as some people are making because you're either paying the mum or the company's got to pay for that. It's, it's not a case... Well, that assumes that the mum is working, though, doesn't it? Which she might not be. What's that, sorry? That assumes that the mum is working, which she might not be. Or, or, or the dad. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't. I, I mean, I think there'll be an initial cost, but I think over time it would actually even out. And we have to bear in mind that, that you know, some women actually want to go back to work as soon as possible. Of course. Um, and so they, there's nothing to stop them doing that, either. Well, there is it's just the that minute, they have to pay for childcare. There is at the minute if the dad is the bigger earner of the two. And at the minute, there, there's, there's a real issue with a lot of companies purely pay men the statutory paternity pay, which means they can't even afford to take the two weeks off. So they, they maybe just have a day or two if they're lucky with the kids before they have to go back into the workplace. So this would actually make paternity leave affordable for, for many families. Yes, affordable for many families, but not for many companies. See, I always think from the company point of view that it's very difficult to cover for people who are not there. And that's my concern as, as, to, as to if you make something statutory and you make something mandatory, um, and particularly for smaller companies, it becomes a real burden. Uh, yeah, there, look, I, again, I said it before, there, there is going to be some cost uh, uh, along the way. I think we've just got to decide as a society whether we want men to be you know, as involved with their kids as, as mums are. And, yeah, but they can be. They don't have to take time off to be involved with them. I mean, it's not like you're working 24-7, is it? Uh, well, it's not like you're working 24-7, but if, if Dad is involved from day one, then he learns much more about his children, he's more involved with them. And there's, there's a huge amount of evidence out there that shows that if Dad does do that, then whatever happens to the parents later on, if they get divorced or widowed or whatever, Dad remains heavily involved with his children and there are sort of benefits for the kids. Right. In better well, I've always been very involved with all four of my kids and all four of their births, and I've never taken more than two weeks off. Because, to be honest, by the end of the two weeks, I'm ready to go back to work. Well... That's great. Can I, can I take a stab in the dark that you've been in the media world? I mean, someone who's maybe in construction... Well, I am on the radio, so you wouldn't be wrong there. <laughs> someone from the police force or the construction world or something like that where it doesn't have the flexibility of the media world, you know, a poli you know something like this could actually help them... Yeah, least. yeah, but listen, I'm, I'm happy for them to take time off and I'm happy to make that easier for the fathers in involved. I just think 12 weeks is a hell of a long time. It's three months, for heaven's sake. Well, it is, but then uh, how long do mums get uh, as things presently stand? I mean, it's the best part of a year, and about nine months of that, they are paid... I think for the 12 months, they're paid the statutory amount with, with other benefits on top. So it, it, it is simply... A, it's almost a case of looking at a balance sheet and the money swapping across from one side yeah. to the other. I know you say that, and it sounds very good when you do say that, but I'm not sure that you're right, because a lot of women will say to the father, well, why don't you take the time off and then I'll just leave my job and once I'm ready to go back into the workforce, I'll go back and get another job. So they're not necessarily getting... It's not necessarily about the mother and the father getting the money or not getting the money. It's about the fact that, you know, if he's going to get the 12 weeks pay, then there's no point in her kind of going for it, if you know what I mean. Well, I mean, it's a tricky one. At the minute, a lot of women, you know, leave the workforce because the... the dad earns a, a bit more and yeah. they can't afford the childcare. Exactly. What, what we're doing here, hopefully over time what we'd see here 
and I'm sorry, this is a quite a geeky detail, but <laughs> if we actually had more um, equality within the workforce, we'd see gender pay differences. Yes. W- w- would go, but it would take a long time to do. And one of the keys to doing that is to actually getting guys fairly treated in the earliest days of their, their kids being born. And at the minute, if a, if a guy's pay statutory paternity leave, they were 148 pounds a week, I think. Yeah, it's not very much, is it? It's not. So they, they can't afford to spend that time at home. So if we make that paid a bit better, they can do that. And I'm sorry. I, I suppose my problem with all of this, and it's, maybe it's a political one and a kind of hereditary one, is that if you want to have kids, make sure you can afford to have them. I don't think it's for the rest of society to pay for you to want to have children and then to help you do it. Do you know uh, what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're on to politics. Great. Um, yeah, um, look, it, it, well, listen, if you want to have five kids or ten kids like Boris has got, I don't know how many he's got, but, you know, I'm not willing to support him for doing so. Uh, oh, good grief. Boris Johnson, number of kids he's got. Yeah. Hold on, there are. I mean, do you want to subsidise Boris Johnson's children? Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what. It's the kids I feel sorry for. I don't want to subsidise him. <laughs> <laughs> you don't live in Camberwell, do you? No, no, no. I, I don't live in Camberwell, and I've not been, um, I've not been taping my neighbours' <laughs> conversations. Um, Brilliant. <laughs> but no, I mean, look, everyone's going to have uh, have an opinion on this, and um, yeah, uh, look, you know, if people are going to have loads and loads of kids, then yeah, you're right. People should be able to afford to do it. But at the minute, it's simply a case that a lot of men can't afford to spend time with their kids. The majority of people do actually keep their families to a size that they yeah. they, they, they feel... Yeah, no, I get, I get all of that. Listen, John, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Very interesting. We could talk about this all day. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. She's crazy like... This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000 is the number. You can tweet us as well at Talk Radio at IROMG. You can text us uh, as well. Text the word talk and your message to 87222. Uh, that will cost you 25p plus your standard network rate. How about this from uh, F and J? I run a tech company. If I had to pay my engineers three months' pay, it would cost me £17,000 in wages and costs and a loss of income of 30,000 quid. We are only a small company. It would be a disaster. Well, I agree with that. We were talking uh, to our dad blogger a little bit earlier on, who, of course, because he wants to be with his children and because he wants to be, um, you know, a good father, is more than happy to give up his job and sit at home and be the main caregiver for the child. But an awful lot of companies could not afford to pay him to do that. Now, it's one thing if he wants to give up the job, but it's entirely another thing, surely, if people want to actually, you know, just become full-time fathers take 12 weeks off every time they have a child. I just don't think that's workable. Of course, it's the Theresa May plan. Of course, it's not workable. Uh, Nick says, how about this for a solution? Get your Hattie Jack to marry Shemima Begum and send them to Canada to live. Job done. Uh, Stu says, why can't we ever make it easy on ourselves and say, if you go out there, you will not be allowed back, no matter what the sob story is. Black and white. Simples. Let's talk to Pat, who's in Stepney. Hello, Pat. Oh, hello, Mike. How you doing, yeah. man? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Look, this... Um Paternity business, yeah. Like the, the, uh, like the father's getting twelve weeks paid leave. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Now, 
I'll, I'll tell you how this could sort of work as a scam. Say, um, you, like, somebody had a, 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 a... When is this going to come in? Well, it's Theresa May's proposal, so probably never. But I think the idea is that it would come in sometime later this year. Right. Well, say, myself, I decided I fancy 12 weeks off. Yeah. Have a word with a missus, we'll have a baby. I'll get 12 weeks off. You'll have to have a word with her, to be honest. Then the year after the next, oh, I fancy another, you know, another 12 yeah. weeks. Okay. You know, so it would spite, you know, it would cost the firm I'm working for. If I say I want, I wanted a big family every other year, they're, they're paying for me to be off yeah. work every other year for 12 weeks. Well, that's the thing, and it's all very well to say that all the money will come from somewhere. Well, it won't, because if you are not currently giving people 12 weeks' money to go and have a baby, then suddenly now you are. It's going to cost you, like the guy said who just tweeted us, £17,000 a year. I mean, and as well, you could, it's sort of, a, I mean, it's encouraging people to have more children. Yes, that's true. And, and it's overpopulation again. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Pat, you're a very, very good point. Let's talk to Mark, who's in South Wales. Hello, Mark. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, sir. What do you want to say? Um, well, it's a, it's a few points rolled in one, really. Right. Uh, I'm, I run a small business, and nobody ever looks at all these rules that come in from a, a small business point of view. Right. Uh, if you employ a thousand people and somebody goes off for twelve weeks or whatever, it don't matter. You know, you employ two people or one person, right. and they go off for twelve people. It could sink your business. Of course, and you can't afford to pay two people to do one job, can you? Well, it's not even that. Um, I'm in a specialist business. I'm a pest controller. We okay. need um, qualifications. Right. Um, you know, we deal with poisons and all sorts of laws and, and whatever. You can't just go and pull somebody off the street to do my job. Right. Um, and. I was listening to Jeremy Hunt yesterday. I, I think he was on something, right? and he was banging on about conservatives being the party of small business and shopkeepers and uh, da 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 da. And none of these rules that come in, you know, like like this, should employ to uh, em, apply to anybody that employs less than five people. Right. Um, it just proportionally it hits small business much harder than anybody else. Well, it does, and I mean, I'll tell you what. One of the reasons the Tories have become so disaffected from, from business people is because they have actually attacked small business over the best part of the last five to ten years and they brought in, you know, really, really uh, ridiculous amounts of red tape. They've changed the tax system so that dividends are now taxed at a much higher rate than they ever were. They've made it really hard to be a small business in this country. Tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's difficult. Um, you know, it's one thing earning money, it's another thing keeping hold of any. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and I, th and I think that is the big problem uh, for the Tory party right now. Uh, Mark, thanks very much indeed. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I suppose if you were going to be charitable about it, you would say that the people running our railways in this country uh, have got a very hard job because not only do they not own the lines on which the trains are running, uh, they don't really own much of the infrastructure of the train services either. Sometimes they don't even own the carriages that they have to run on the tracks. They don't uh, really have any control over whether or not things go go horribly wrong. But one thing that did surprise me over the weekend was reading a story that said that rail bosses and their staff are ordered to fly around Britain because it is cheaper than taking the train. And over the last two years, apparently, Network Rail staff have taken, get this, 9,212 national flights to get to places like Edinburgh, Glasgow, Newcastle, Leeds, Manchester... Truro. I mean, for heaven's sake, let's find out from Graham exactly what's going on. Graham, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Uh, hello, Mike. Now, I don't suppose you're going to accuse me of being unfair here, are you? But, I mean, it does seem like there's an awful lot of people from the railways not using the railways to go somewhere. 
Well, yeah, I mean, the facts speak for themselves on this one. I mean, it's, it, is, it is quite an astonishing story. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, I mean, we've known for some time that Network Rail will have, I mean, you, you know, their, their expenses are available online. You know, you have a little look and, you know, you can see that, the, you know, they have quite a lot of flights taken by staff. The issue here is the fact that they've, they have to take the cheapest possible um, travel arrangement right. um, for the journey that they, that they need to take. And, you know, on, in some instances, when you compare flights with um with the trains um it seems the uh, the flights come out as the cheapest which but what is happened to the kind of staff discount and all that they don't do that anymore well i mean i mean the fact is that you've got to remember this is network rail so w- w- this is the organization that owns the infrastructure right. I mean, basically they're an engineering company first and foremost mm. they're not actually the people that actually run the trains the trains are run by the train operating companies yes. the likes of virgin trains great western etc etc network rail do the infrastructure so so you know we can't really point the finger at them when we, when we talk about the fact that um, fares are going up, etc. At the same time, you've also got to remember the network rail are a publicly owned body, so they have to get the cheapest return mm. for the taxpayer. So if it is cheaper to take a flight, we, we would we would much prefer the fact that network rail aren't wasting money on 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 well, high train fares. So. They don't but need I, to. I would have thought if you're going to look at the cheapest form of transport, surely it would be coach, wouldn't it? Because I saw uh, a tweet from a friend of mine who was going to I think Bristol in the coach at the weekend. Couldn't believe how cheap it was. He was like going to Bristol for a tenner or something. And his question was on Twitter, why are trains so expensive? Mm. Well, it, it, well it's, a, it's a very good point. I mean. Obviously, you know, coach travels much more much cheaper because there isn't the infrastructure associated with it. It's much cheaper to run a coach than it is a right. than it is a big train. Uh, th- there is a big issue at heart, though. Here is that you know why is train travel so expensive? The fact is that you can get cheap train travel if you book far enough in advance. I mean, there's very very good deals which stand up um, competitively to the best um, airfares. The problem is is that when you get closer to travel, and I imagine quite a lot of these. Business trips will be sort of, you know, if not last minute, then certainly the last last week or so before travel. It can be very expensive. Yeah. I mean, conversely, though, taking a flight, quite often the opposite happens. So if there are spare seats, quite often the seats will become cheaper closer to travel because there is spare capacity. Mm. It doesn't, I never quite understand why trains can't go the same way. I mean, the fact is that if there is X number of reserved seats that you have on a particular train, and, you know, it's a day before travel and a lot of those reserve seats are still not taken up, then why not cut the price of, of, uh, of travel on those trains to increase the number of people getting them? You know, the fact is that there isn't a lot of flexibility with the way train fares are priced. And it's beyond me why, we can't, um, why it can't be um, perhaps made a little bit more user-friendly and we can't start uh, cutting prices quite sure. train. Travel. Well, a lot of people are very baffled as well because you never. It's quite often you never you can never get the same rail fare twice. And if you book one fare and you go in the next day to say book your friend going the same way as you, you don't get the same fare. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the fact is that there will be, there is um, very set fares. Like you know, for example, a you know an advance single on you know train X will cost the same irrespective of when you travel the, the issue is the advance fares and the advance fares do change very significantly depending on the time of travel but they, they almost always just simply get more expensive the closer you get to 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 traveling I mean some train companies will release their tickets up to six months before travel others will do it three months um, and generally you have to be right there on the money and you can actually set up email alerts and everything so that you can 
so that you can get advan- take advantage of those fares as and when they come available. Right. Um, you know, I think, like, like I say, um, the fares system is baffles most of us. Even people <laughs> who work in the industry have difficulty trying to explain it. And, well, and it's true. But I also I find it still quite, notwithstanding what you said about Network Rail being an engineering company, etc., but it's still closer to the railway business and the railway systems in this country than any other company. So you'd be... I mean, if you were working at Network Rail, you would expect to get some kind of discount on the train, surely? Yeah, well, I, uh, yeah. I mean, the fact is that, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of this. I mean, there are some people who work within Network Rail who do get season tickets. Um, whether So, you know, the fact is that it is incentivised mm. um, people. For example, who live in Birmingham or work in London or vice versa will probably get some sort of subsidy on their, on their travel. Uh, you know, the, the fact is that the, train com- the trains are operated by private companies, mm. and those companies... Are um, are there to to make a profit? Um, sure. If it's, no, if listen, I get all that. I just I find nine thousand two hundred twelve national flights being taken over two years by Network Rail to be a very high number. Mm-hmm. You know, no, completely. I mean, and particularly in the context of the fact that um, that domestic air travel is actually coming down as a, as a mode of transport because a lot of people would much rather take the train if it's available because you don't you're not standing for an hour in check-in and, um, and having to, you know, go through all the rigmarole of getting to an airport. You can just rock up to a train, get on and, and travel. So a lot of people prefer the ease of train travel, even for a very long-distance trip, like a, a trip to London and Edinburgh. Mm. It's quite often preferable than making three different journeys to get to the airport, etc. But like you say, it is, um, it is prohib- prohibitively expensive it for is. a lot of people. And what did you make of the big uh, railway story of the weekend, which was, of course, Emily Maitlis, Emily Maitlis uh, taking, having um, a picture of her dog sitting sleeping next to her on a, on a train. It doesn't look well, like a first-class carriage. It looks like just a regular carriage. No, um, and she says, in her defence, that the dog was only there for the last 17 minutes yeah. of the journey from the West Country because somebody had got up. Yeah, a, a, a bit of a stormy teacup in that regard. Yeah, you're right. Um, she says that three for three hours the dog was um, beneath the table yeah. and only got up in the last 17 minutes. Uh, you know, the fact is that dogs are on seats is... Bard, um, National Rail, which um, which basically over the umbrella body for for the train operating companies, right. they they say that it's against their conditions of travel to have dogs on seats. And Great Western, which was the train company involved in this particular uh, journey, uh, also says that dogs shouldn't be on seats. You know, the fact is, you know, this this seat was free. The dog jumped up on board. Jumped up. I don't, I don't think it's a major problem. You know, the fact is that as well is, is this is it's not just as if dogs uh, are to blame for some bad behaviour here. I mean, you you look at some of the pictures. There's somebody in the in the seat behind Emily Maitlis with her feet up yes. um, on on the seat. Well, I was going to say yeah. eagle eagle-eyed viewers will have noticed that, and uh, yeah, you know, she's yeah. wearing her shoes as well, which is a note. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. So you know, I, I don't. I, th- I think I think we can all. We can all find examples where people where there's slightly antisocial behaviour yes. on trains, and um, yeah, I think um, I, I think suspect if a, Emily Maitlis hadn't been criticised so much for that TV debate the other week, um, <laughs> that this would not be a story at all. Yeah, well, well, quite. There you know you what I mean. But uh, let me ask you one final question: What about the strike last week? There was a strike which prevented anyone from getting to Royal Ascot by train. Well, um, how did that all go? Did it did it do what it was meant to do, or what? Well, it did. I mean, but you know, this is this is a pretty absurd situation. This has been going on for three years. These strikes. These strikes are over an issue where the the uh, there, there are new trains that are effectively able to be operated, where the cab, the driver in the cab can basically operate the, and shut the doors and dispatch the train on his or her own because the trains have CCTV all the way through them. The the RMT, which represent the guards, they want the trains to be dispatched by their members. 
and you know the fact is that they don't need to be because mm. the technology exists now the train companies have said we're going to keep those people on the trains but we're going to make their role slightly different and they're going to be a more customer focused role they're going to be you know checking tickets that sort of thing um, but the rmt don't want this they want them to have that safety critical as they call it function to be able to dispatch the train mm. uh, you know it's it, it, a lot of people have said this is purely about the RMT being able to retain control over the railway and the next time they want to have a, a dispute over over um, salaries, etc., then the uh, the trains don't run because they're the ones that dispatch the trains. Yeah. I think that's where, it, that's where it comes down to. A lot of the tra- other train companies that have had this row on have already caved in. Um, people like Greater Anglia, Scott Rail, uh, Northern, uh, Mersey Rail, they've all, um, they've all reached an agreement yes. with the RMT on this. Um, Southwestern are holding out and haven't done so yet. It remains to be seen. I mean, you know, the fact is the RMT aren't going to give up on this one. It's it's too um, it's too big for their members. They'll they'll keep going, and the fact is that this dis- this disruption will will continue. So we'll see more striking, unfortunately. I think I, I think we will, particularly on Southwestern. I mean, like I say, we we did. You know, this issue started on Southern uh, three years yes, ago, I remember, and yeah. um, Southern sort of rode it out a little bit and just introduced the trains and mm. introduced the new. Um, the new system of operating for guards, and it seems to have, you know, have got beyond the point where the RMT can actually cause a problem right. on Southern. So Southern has largely been left alone now. Mm. And it remains to be seen if Southwestern can um, can get through this and can implement the the changes and, and reach a point where the RMT can't actually do that much actual damage to the trains. At the moment, they are doing a lot of damage with these strikes. I mean, around about half the trains were cancelled um, when they went out, which is a huge. A huge blow for yes. a company like Southwestern, which is in quite a lot of financial trouble anyway. Uh, so, so we hear. So, you know, the fact is that first Southwestern, which runs it, won't be able to keep this up for long. Um, you know, they probably will end up having to reach some sort of agreement. Sure, Graham. Thanks very much indeed, Graham Payton, their transport correspondent for the Times, uh, telling us all about why, if you are uh, unfortunately having to come into work uh, or go anywhere on Southwest trains, is likely. Uh, to be yet more strikes. Uh, how about this from Scott? He says, uh, the hell with the train staff. What about one of the dearest lines in the country, the South End Victoria to Liverpool Street, actually being open at a weekend once this year? Us social users of a weekend can't get about at all. They are a disgrace. And Pete says, with regards to network rail travel, the cheapest would be tele or video conference. OK, you sometimes need to be there. But look at alternatives, for heaven's sake. Well, I think that's absolutely right. And other people saying, why do they not actually manage to negotiate a better contract? Rob says, shocking contract negotiation by Network Rail. Cheaper staff travel, duty travel, should have been made a part of the contract award to the tender winners. Yet another example of waste and or wasted opportunities. How much cash is just being uh, got rid of? Well, that's absolutely right. They should, surely, be able to travel on their own mode of transport if they run Network Rail. It makes absolutely no sense to fly around the country, which costs us even more money, no doubt, because they can't find a cheaper rail fare. Absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.